0: You're listening to Hunter and Craft Radio. What's up, guys? Evan Lewis here for Hunter and Craft Podcast Episode 2. Very excited to be with you guys today. Uh, we've got a fantastic guest, my good buddy, Reggie Milligan, the founder of Mantri.com. Reg, how you doing today, bud?
1: Doing well. Thanks for having me on.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah, very, uh, very glad to be chatting today. Um, so... Guys, this is, uh, Reggie is the first ever sort of entrepreneurial guest outside of the Hunter and Craft family to be on this podcast, so, um, you know, I am just going to give you a quick walkthrough of why I'm excited about uh, talking to Reg today, and then really, you know, we're going to get him to tell his story, uh, talk about Mantry, sort of how that company came to be, uh, how he's grown it to where it is today, um, and then really get through, you know, some of the core lessons that he's learned uh, along the way, so... Quick synopsis on Mantry. Um, it's a food subscription company aimed at the modern man. So it's the modern man's pantry, um, and you know, obviously, with a lot of people these days being very interested in the sort of food subscription business, um, you know, a lot of these of the month type clubs. Um, Reg is really a pioneer in that sense, and he's grown, uh, you know, Mantri to have multi million dollars in revenue and an amazing subscriber base. Um, he's, and he's really got an amazing story um, and is a fantastic entrepreneur. So, uh, Reg, I'd love if you could just sort of uh, give us a brief background on, you know, your career, um, a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, where you went to school, and, and how you came to uh, to start Mantri.
1: Yeah, um, thank you for the overly gracious uh, introduction <laughs> there. But um, we, uh, yeah, know I start, I mean, I'm a food guy. I've always liked food the same way that people like you know, uh, sports. Like, I just I just dug it from day one when I was like 14 years old I got into kitchens. I ended up working kind of in fine dining, worked down at uh, uh, French Laundry which is like a Michelin-starred restaurant down in uh, Napa Valley and then I kind of burnt out of kitchens and wanting to be like a chef and when I ended up at business school uh, out at the University of Victoria, the harbor <laughs> to the west out there and um, yeah, I did four years of kind of four or five years of bumbling through business school. I uh, had a startup before this where we like threw long table pop-up dinners. It was called the Social Feed. Uh, we'd go into different spaces and throw big communal dinner parties. And then just always saw this space for guys and food and kind of thought there wasn't a good resource, wasn't too many good resources in there, and decided to kind of attack that area and um, also at the same time And when we started the business, just saw so many people making cool stuff like barbecue sauces and mustards and salamis and small barrel batch of this and, you know, just saw the opportunity to help people discover all these cool makers.
0: Amazing. Right on, buddy. So I guess just a quick snapshot of uh, where Mantry is today. Um, like maybe if you just talk a little bit about your, you know, where your subscribers are at and um, where you guys are based out of you guys. I mean, I know you've got a pretty awesome space there in NYC, but uh, if you just, yeah, talk about what's going on with Mantry right now.
1: Yes, yeah, so when we started it, obviously like most entrepreneurs, I was like convinced I was going to sell this thing in 11 months for like, you know, a billy and then just kind of <laughs> call it quits, you know, and then you find out that that's uh, difficult to do. So no, we, we started it, we've been growing it steadily, we've got good, we've got definitely validated our product, like people seem to dig it now, it's just about kind of growing the business and continually trying to add value for our customer and also just you know, working on the maker side because they just want to get discovered and they want to get their product in front of key people and influencers. So it's a fun game, man. I call it the uh, free MBA starting a business.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's actually, um, in sort of our about page, one of our early, actually the introduction to Hunter and Craft post. Um, that's what we say is, you know, these the start, the startup game, it's practical MBAs. We like to call it and, um, no, a hundred percent. That's, uh, That's awesome. So we'd love to sort of go through, I mean, I picked kind of five key things just, you know, obviously from knowing you well and knowing um, your sort of mantry journey, uh, the five sort of core pillars that I thought um, would be the best, you know, lessons or areas that you have great lessons in, right? So those five uh, we sort of picked were really getting it off the ground. So the early, uh, early days of ideation and validation. Um, then branding, so branding is obviously a very core strength of yours and you guys have built an amazing brand, so um, you know, offering some lessons on that. Um, and then into e-commerce and logistics, obviously there's a lot of complexity that you guys have dealt with in terms of you know, distributing products across North America and um, all that type of stuff. I know you got some war stories in that sense. Um, and then PR and partnerships uh, being the charming fellow that you are, being able to sort of get your face in front of um, in, in front of lots of great media uh, and then lastly is you know on the investment and cash flow side, um, obviously with you know the interesting you know recurring revenue uh, business, um, just kind of how you've made you know purchasing decisions and investment decisions and that type of thing. so um, might as well dive into the first one, so I'd love if you could just sort of walk us through the early days of Mantry, um, how you came up with the idea, how you sort of uh, you know got the initial site off the ground and got your you know your first customers in validation.
1: Yeah I mean Mantry was uh, was a quick start. We, we basically came up with the concept and the name very quickly going okay we want to ship cool food products to from different makers around the. US. We want to tailor guys. We threw out like names like man baskets and stuff <laughs> like that that just didn't seem to have legs. And then we stumbled on ManTree. Um, we ended up buying themantree.com um, o- online, and and we were we got to market quick. And we actually started this business shipping crates out of the back of a car, like literally up in Toronto. There, we just would drive. We had a delivery. Um, and we would go to the grocery store, like especially food store, stuff it full of cool food products and just drop it off at someone's door. Like basically Nicky Nicky nine doors. So it was very, very <laughs> informal in the beginning. Um, and yeah, I mean, we just, like, you, like, like you mentioned, we just hit the ground running. And I mean, the goal from the game from day one was just get to market as quickly as possible because who knows if anybody even cares about man pantries anyway, <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I see a lot, of, um, a lot of entrepreneurs and people starting businesses building too much. I mean, I, you know, I was guilty of it with eProf, but really without, um, without getting that sort of product market fit, I, I mean, I'd love if you could just sort of talk about it and stress, because uh, I think it's super important to really, you know, know you've got something by actually getting people to pay for it rather than, uh, you know, just building and hoping.
1: Yeah, I think when we launched the social feed, which was my previous business, we sort of thought we'd open it to friends first and see what kind of reaction we'd get. And um, with Mantry, the the goal was to get it to strangers as quickly as possible because, like, your friends will always tell you that things are, like, pretty cool. They won't really give you hard feedback. You know, they'll egg you on because they're your friends and they don't want to hurt your feelings. Whereas, like, someone who doesn't know you will just right away tell you, like, this product sucks, the value sucks, and. You know, you need to change this, this, and this, and that's the benefit of, you know, a just getting to market quick. But like when you do, like don't bother even emailing your friends in the beginning. You know what I mean? And and that's that was big for for us. And I'm, you know, there's two ways to approach it. Some people like going the route of I'm going to plan this thing for six months and have everything, you know, right where I want it, and then take my first crack at it. Um, I'm a true believer in just hitting the ground running and getting that product out there and just taking you know taking the brunt of it uh, head-on and, and quickly trying to change things until you have a bit of a a bit of a decent fit for a product
0: yeah absolutely that's uh I mean you're pretty much Mark Zuckerberg of the food world in terms of uh, you know <laughs> he, ha- he had he had the Facebook you had the mantry <laughs> so. I
1: have a funny story about that um, Terry G uh, is the reason that we were able to get uh the man tree taken away i used to do dinner parties when i was cooking uh on my weekends and stuff like that my time off i would go into uh different people's homes and cook like tasting menus sort of private dining for like uh, people who wanted to throw a party at their place or an anniversary or whatever it needs to be and one of the dinner parties we did there's a guy at the table named terry g this is when i was like 19 and he mentioned like off the cuff that he would buy and sell domains as like a way sort of a hobby side project and so years later when we had the Mantry and we were like we got to get rid of it you know we've seen social network we are like, we got to get rid of this like the in front of it it's killing our vibe so i remembered him and i called him and i said like listen we got to get rid of the, the like i don't know the first thing about buying and selling domains and he actually helped construct like the perfect email and the perfect way to go about it and we ended up buying Mantry.com off some guy in South Korea for like, it was like 700 bucks. So, Mantry.com is because of uh, the, the fine work of Terry.
0: The legend of Terry G. <laughs> <laughs> that leads in quite nicely to the, uh, the branding lessons. So, essentially, uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was in the conversation we had a couple weeks ago you really talking about how you need to, when you're building a brand, um, have it very clear in the consumer's mind, you know, exactly what you guys do, um, you know, from a messaging perspective. So I love if you could just really go through, you know, your learning on um, building Mantri as a brand and how you sort of taken feedback and learned to, you know, take some of the good stuff, but also tune a lot of stuff out.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm a big believer that, like, especially on the Internet nowadays, you got to be niche. Um, and if you're kind of trying to talk to everybody, you're talking to nobody. Um, and so with Mantry we just focused in on this kind of group of 24 to 38-year-old guys and cooking and food um, and just just zeroed in on it and, and sort of forgot about everything else. Um, and... When we first started, we were very, like, maxime is how I describe it. Like, we had some, like, girls eating Sundays, and, like, we had some, like, you know, people holding – girls holding pancakes and stuff like that. It was kind of this tongue-in-cheek, like, joke on just trying to get get people to to start talking about it, you know, like, treat food in a different light, and um, it was cool. I mean, it got us a bit of attention, but ultimately – we decided that if we were going to grow up as a brand, like we would have to transition into focusing more on the products and the makers and the real mission of like getting guys inspired and interested in getting in the kitchen. Um, so we kind of toned that down to more of like, I like to call it like the GQ type vibe a little (laughs) bit, um, away from like the Maxim, like I said, but, um, yeah, so that was one major change for us. um, you know, just understanding, like, who you aren't and understanding that you can't please everybody, I think, was really important. Like, we would just get so many people in the early days saying, like, why is it just for men? Like, you know, why Like, why don't you have a women's one? Like, what? you know, a lot of that. And, like, that's a totally fair point. But it was like we knew that would come. And, you know, we always sort of dodged that by equating it to, like, the magazine industry. Food is a lot like uh, the magazine industry where, like – you have Al Magazine that writes to a certain group and you have GQ that writes to a certain group. And so when we started the business, because we create so much content, recipes, uh, storytelling, ways to use the products, we needed to focus in on a group of what we're creating all that content for. Like obviously yeah. the six food products that go in the box are like skewed towards guys, but they're really like anyone can eat them. But the the content itself and everything about the brand is like really just zeroed in on that 24 to
0: 42 guy yeah that's interesting so one thing i noticed with a lot of your promotions and stuff is that you guys i mean obviously the the products are geared towards the guy but then a lot of the, a lot of times i would assume that it's the the girl uh the, the guy's girlfriend or wife buying the product or the mantry for her husband or, or boyfriend right so i guess how just if you could talk about that a little bit in terms of you know how you've sort of um, been able to, I guess, attract those ladies. I know you've got into some, you know, like gift guides and that type of thing. So how you kind of balance that um, between, you know, the attracting the ladies who are buying and then, you know, the guys who are buying for, them, for themselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was a whole market that we just like, that's part of the what I was saying about going and just hitting the market. I mean, we just fell into that. We were like all of a sudden it just popped out of nowhere that, you know, buying a gift for a guy was like a real pain point. And like, <laughs> it's actually really hard. I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to shop for a brother or whatever. It's actually kind of difficult to buy for a guy. So we were able to capitalize on that just because like we're food. It's pretty easy going. It's a pretty fun gift. You know, it's kind of tongue in cheek. So totally. I mean, a big audience for us around Father's Day, Valentine's Day and Christmas is uh, women buying for men.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's funny. I joke about how I can't even shop for myself, let alone other dudes, right? <laughs> so it's, uh, oh God, I'm it's not easy, man. Oh man. I'm as colorblind as I come. That's actually a great part of this Hunter and craft project is just really getting to absorb and hang out with people who are much more stylish than I am. But, uh, that's. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that to. to another I'm wearing.
1: Uh, I'm currently wearing black sweatpants and a black t shirt at the office here. So I'm, believe me, I'm the far. I'm the far thing from <laughs> farthest thing from fashion. <laughs>
0: But you live in the the most fashionable area of New York. It's uh, It's true. You can
1: kind of dress like a slob down here and people still think you're like trying to
0: pull something off, you know? (laughs) You're just so trendy with your sweatpants and your beanie. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Awesome. So I'm going to kind of switch it up a bit because given that all this talk about magazines and stuff, I would love if you could um, talk about kind of the the PR hacks that you've gone through. I know you were using some some cool tech from a PR perspective uh, just to kind of, you know, maximize your outreach potential. And, um, I mean, a huge part of being down in New York is obviously being able to sort of walk into, you know, the L magazines of the world or whatever. I'd love to, if you could just sort of talk about some of your best learnings on, you know, hacking PR for your startup.
1: Yeah, so PR is super, I mean, it was so important for us in the very beginning because, like, we were, you know, it's so you're new and everyone, the news cycle nowadays, everybody needs to talk about what's new, what's new, what's new. So they're like dying to write about things that are fresh. So it's a huge opportunity when you start a business. Um, The the things that I've learned over time is like, you just, unfortunately, the best way to go about it is try and make personal relationships with people and try. And if you can't do that, try and craft pitches um, to Specific reporters. Like one great thing that we do, for example, you mentioned all the gift guides. Is like, you know, you look up all the gift. Gu- if I'm looking trying to get into the Father's Day gift guide of 2015 of a bunch of different, you know, magazines. I look up on Google. I type in Father's Day gift guide 2014. I see who wrote all those guides, and I start, you know, trying to figure out how to get the writers' content. I mean, they actually want to find things. Contact. I mean, I, they actually want to find things that. They can write about two. So it's like finding that product uh, writer fit is important. Like a lot of people think, oh, I just want to be on TechCrunch or I just want to be on like the next startup blog. But like they get so many pitches a day. um, You're better off trying to think, okay, like let's say that I have a new golf club startup. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's not necessarily just targeting golf magazines. Maybe there's a whole line of like, like you mentioned women's magazines that want to have a new cool gift for guys, they can gift a golf club. Like it's finding those kind of like those, those sort of different angles on it. um, That's really important. Like it's because that's how you'll get covered. Like we actually get covered by more women's publications than we do men's because I've always said, like if I pitch GQ, it's a guy pitching a guy on what to tell guys. If I pitch uh, a women's magazine, it's a guy, pitching, typically a women's editor recommending what guys like, you know, and that's just a way better plat like pattern. Um, then, you know, then what I find in, 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 like with our, because we're so sort of a gender focused business, um, that's one thing. So I think, um, you know, finding those little angles that you can pull off is important. Just hammering away, like, don't be afraid to cold call. Um, no one does it anymore. Um, and and just trying to, even when you write an email, even if it's like just short and sweet in two lines, try and like, you know, try and personalize it because if it comes across copy and pasted, like you're going to be dead in the water right off the top.
0: Totally. What's the, um, what's the biggest, I guess, PR push or, um, I guess, you know, the biggest influx of subscriptions and stuff like where, where did that come from? What's kind of the biggest PR splash that you guys have made?
1: Uh, well we were in we were on the today show twice and we were on oprah um was was big like oprah magazine now like apparently back in like the mid-90s if you were on oprah like it was over and like that was it but um we you know we got in the mag which was really good we got in food network magazine we've gone on usa today we've gone on like i mean we've on a lot of the major like networks and most of that was around gift giving season Mm -hmm. um so yeah, those ones, like a today show, I mean, that just, the amount of people that still watch those daily TV, uh, morning shows, like is just astounding. And so that'll like move the dial right away, but that's not to say that like, you know, some of these smaller niche magazines, um, you know, like, let's say just as an example, like cigar aficionado, like maybe it's not that big, but like you get in something like that with a product that we have and like, you're going to see the dial move pretty good. Um, so it is, um, like, the big ones are nice, but it's, like, the accumulation of the smaller stuff that really makes a difference in, in PR generating revenue.
0: Nice. Are you still using that um, that PR, like, software to, to hack it a little yeah, bit? Yeah, we,
1: I mean, one good thing to mention is, like, Scission is a PR software. And, I mean, all it really does, what Scission does is you pay, you know, you pay annually every year. And it just gives you a database of all the contacts for all, uh, basically, the writers. Like, you can look up, you know, who writes food for uh, the New York Times. And it it's just helps because you don't have to go searching for these people's contact. Now, it doesn't guarantee anything. You still have to make a compelling pitch. You know, you still have to be, like, interesting. And, like, you still have to do a good job of, of pitching a great story or an angle for the writer. But it just mm-hmm. cuts out, like, having to track down and search now that used to be a bit harder than it is now. Like most writers have Twitter and stuff like that, and a lot of the times I've had good success by just tweeting at tweeting at somebody and saying like, "Hey, can you DM your contact? Like, I think I have a cool story that you can cover."
0: Yeah, totally. So um, I mean, that's that's so that's a lot of great stuff on. I guess you know the slightly. Softer side of things, we'd love to dig in a little bit on um, kind of the the e-commerce logistics, and then into um, you know kind of the the investment and cash flow stuff. I mean, obviously, with you guys, a huge part of this business, like you know, if you want to start really any kind of e-commerce business, there's the logistics and you know the shipping and stuff. I mean, I assume you guys have what's kind of the the far-ranging deliveries you guys have to do. It's it's strictly in North America, or do you guys do global?
1: Yeah, well, we ship. Uh, I mean, right now we're kind of looking at the UK, but we're um, we ship basically all across North America, and we do um, you know we do Hawaii and we do Alaska. So um, yeah, quite a bit of shipping, quite a bit of logistics. Um, it's fun times. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's kind of the the logistics process um, that you guys go through? For, you know, I guess if you could walk it through, straight from you know the curation of uh, of the goods to you know getting that the mantry actually shipped to the person's door.
1: Yeah, so we, we buy the products off each maker individually. We ship it into our warehouse, and it gets packed and picked, and it gets re it gets redistributed, put up in like our little wood crates packaging, and we, it gets redistributed to our subscribership, and anyone that's new that month. And then uh, we also ship gifts out of the same location. So we, um, you know, we pay two shipping costs, so it's been important for us to try and uh, lower shipping expenses as much as possible, obviously shipping products in and then shipping products out. Um, now, in, um, in the U.S., that is uh, a lot easier to do. Canada has really expensive – it just costs more to ship things in Canada – um, so it's definitely more economical in America to ship.
0: Gotcha. So if like, let's say I'm starting a, I have a friend actually who's starting a retail business, um, you know, what, what tips would you give him in terms of, you know, really minimizing the mistakes that, uh, you know, that he makes in terms of, you know, figuring out distribution and that type of thing.
1: I think that, I mean, first things first, if you can do a subscription business, like it's amazing. And I mean, it's sort of like. A subscription box is always, you know, it's always in vogue and people think it's like really, you know, the hot thing right now, everyone's doing subscription boxes. But, you know, most most importantly there, like we ship and our packages end at the end, end of every month you get your package. And nowadays with like Amazon, Amazon Prime, like people's, people's acceptance for a package showing up in even four days is getting increasingly lower and lower. Like Amazon in New York has same day shipping. And that is something that is really tough to pull off. And so I think setting your – like the biggest thing you can do with your customers is set the expectations of when the package is going to arrive. If it's going to take two weeks for that package to arrive and you need to write an email that says, hey, we're a startup, you know, we're working on our supply chain, and this is going to arrive in a week and a half, nine times out of ten people will be like, you know what, I get it, thanks. But if you tell them like, yeah, 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 it's on its way, you're going to get it in two days, and it shows up in four – like you're going to have a lot of customer service problems so i think set people's expectations and hit them um you know definitely uh, as far as tip tips i say is like you're going to want to you're going to want to call around to a couple companies that ship a lot of things in your area or to your group and just ask them like what do they use are they using you know which posted service are they using, you know how are they doing it. It takes a lot of investigation on like a case by case. Let's say if the person's starting up in Toronto, like you're going to want to call a couple companies that you know are shipping quite a bit. And I mean if you're not in a compete industry, they're not going to they're not going to care. So that's how we learned a lot about shipping in the in the early days is really just calling companies that we knew were doing a lot of it.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, no one to ask for help right like um and
1: yeah know. and shipping's one of those things that like everyone who's ever started an e-commerce business has done so it's like don't why would you go out and try and reinvent the wheel and a lot of people just overlook that they think they have to like go at it alone and figure it out
0: yeah so in terms of i guess from an e-commerce perspective to just like if you give like a super high level overview of Like the tech you guys use, because that same buddy I was just talking about who is, you know, starting this uh, online retail business, I, from the start, I was like, you know, don't reinvent the wheel, use Shopify, right? Like get a, use Shopify and do, you have a custom, uh, you know, do some customization to a theme. But for, for you guys, um, like, do you guys use a service like that or did you do a custom build or how, how does that work?
1: Well, this is gonna be the worst answer of all time because I'm a food guy, and so you know what, man, I do. I know very little about the. <laughs> I mean, my my, you know, my partner Tony is. He's the man at that stuff. He's very talented at it. I always joke that like, without him, I'd just be basically a lemonade stand, like sitting <laughs> on the corner of the street. So he he's the guy who knows the e-commerce side. But um, you know, you know, you should interview him maybe. <laughs> But I do, I, I can tell you this, that nowadays between like Squarespace and Shopify and whatever, even five years ago, it was just a totally different game to get a website built. You can basically plug and play different things and, you know, get to the point of, listen, your site might not be perfect, but you can get to the point where you can take an order online and sell it. And like people used to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that like back in 94 you know what i mean so it's like pretty amazing that like that's that's doable now you you know even with kickstarter for example like it's incredible like how you can go from an idea to selling things online in like five months
0: we're, the very last thing I want to talk about is your your top three vendors that you work with. But quickly before that, I mean, I know you say you're not you're not the tech guy, but I know you, you have had a lot of experience with, um, you know, doing doing the cash flow, figuring out if you do need outside investment. Um, I know you guys have taken some on. I'd love if you could just sort of walk through, um, you know, the, in, the investment strategy um, and what you guys have dealt with and maybe some lessons you've learned uh, on, on that side of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, we we actually have it. We are unfunded um, from day one. And we, as far, but I can speak to the cash flow. So, you know, getting Outside Investment VC Angel, uh, my business partner has had experience with that in the past and had a taste of it. And, like, it is a, it changes the dynamic of your business and it's a very much a choice. And I would always say that, like, You know, if you can run a cash flow positive business from the beginning and you don't need to take money, you can always take money, but it's a great way to start one is just, is just try and run cash flow positive. So with the subscription, for example, you know, we get the money on the first of the month and then we take that and we purchase, you know, we use it to purchase goods, fund the business, and then we fulfill. And so, you know, cash flow is, listen, no, nothing kills more startups like running out of cash flow. Um, but, It is a it is a powerful powerful way to make sage business decisions. Like a lot of the best decisions we've ever made, whether it's pricing our product or knowing what to spend money on or not spending too much on things that don't matter, have come because we've had little cash in the business. I mean, what you see a lot now, especially like New York got the whole Silicon Alley thing going on now, and there's a (laughs) lot of startups down here and. You just see so many people that go get a million bucks in VC and then just burn it on things that just don't move the bottom line and uh, that, you know, the, the, obviously there's examples of, of companies that do really well taking on VC in the beginning and make it happen but, you know, it, it does force you into a different thought pattern when you don't have funding um, and you focus a lot on just keeping cash in the business and growing it. So, that's my take on it. Is is like, listen, if you can start it unfunded and, and and hold on to that equity, um, you can always bring in money later when you figured things out. Um, but you'll you'll run a healthier business in the beginning, in my opinion.
0: No, hundred percent. I mean, that's um, that's awesome. That's actually one of our biggest things with eProf. I mean, I'm envious of, of you guys just in terms of um, you know, obviously the monthly recurring revenue and um, and all that type of stuff. I mean, with with eProf, we, unfortunately, you know, we never really had a, a lot of legs to stand on from a, from a cash flow perspective. I mean, we were sort of, you know, getting by government grant to government grant. And, um, you know, if I would have done it again, I would have literally not wrote a single line of code and, you know, try to get, um, uh, you know, 10 marquee clients that are paying us, you know, a couple grand a month or whatever to, yeah. uh, to build something so that we know, you know, at the end of the day, um, we have legs to stand on. We have, you know, if we do need to pivot or whatever, we can. But we have that core group of customers that is, you know, paying us, um, paying us a little bit of money so that we can get by, and we're not sort of, you know, relying on grasping at straws.
1: It's it's like a morale thing too. You know what I mean? If if that's why I've always, I mean, I've gravitated towards sort of I call it uh, we're selling root beer essentially. Like we have a core product, and we. You know, we ha- we know our margin on it and we make it work. And, you know, we do have an e-commerce-enabled business for sure. But, you know, there I, I there is a nice feeling of knowing, like, when you sell something, you are making a bit of money there. You're not trying to set up, like, a massive network. Um, and that's just sort of the way I like to kind of, do things and, and it, it keeps the morale up in the business man when a little bit of cash is coming in even making a couple sales like in the early days like you get one sale a day and that's enough to like fire you up for one more day you know what i mean and, and startups are just an energy game like at the end of the day it's all about just getting up every day being stoked to work on it and you kind of get these little hits of adrenaline you know now if we sell one crate in a day i like go home and cry but like you know it, it's all a progression i guess you learn to like I don't know. It's cool. we always joke in the business, like me and my partner. It's like how quickly your dial moves. Where like you used to make 200 bucks a day and just be stoked, and now whatever you make a bunch more than that, and 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 you're like, oh man, that was a t- like tough sales week. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I think I think cash is. I, I, I'm a big fan of, like, just trying to get early customers and getting people that, are, that, that give you the feedback and the hope that, like, the product's working and, like, we just need to find more of these types of people um, and go from
0: there. Question. What is the most crates you guys have ever sold in one day?
1: That's a great question I'm not going to answer. Because <laughs> <laughs> who knows how big you're going to get at You could become the next Larry King. and uh, right. we've, I mean listen to not completely dodge it like we have you know we've had good strong no i'm going to dodge this question (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) all right fair enough okay well let's last thing is you can pump the tires of some of the amazing vendors that you've gotten a chance to work with and maybe you know just shed light on a couple of your favorites um because i know you know I've seen your pictures. You've been all over, you know, all over the U.S. and Canada, uh, meeting with amazing, you know, craft producers of uh, of really cool food and stuff. I'd love if you could just, you know, maybe a couple that come to mind, um, tell their stories, and then you know, we can uh, we can link to them in, in the show notes of the podcast.
1: Yeah, man, I would love to. I want to give a shout out to Stu Waters, who owns Stu's Kitchen. He makes a Bloody Mary mix, and he's the first guy we ever put in a man tree. And Stu was a chef he was used to be a chef and the recipe was developed by him working at alinea which was like he used to work at a place called alinea which is like one of the top restaurants in the in north america and then he just decided that like bloody mary mixes sucked and he wanted to create like the own perfect concentrate so it's a concentrate that you dump into uh you know your caesar or your bloody mary tomato juice and it just makes like it just makes the most wicked Bloody Mary, and I mean that's a product product I'm always stoked on. Another guy is, Olive um, and Sinclair chocolates. Scott Scotty Withrow down in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, is doing like stone ground chocolate in the heart of Nashville. Uh, he went he's like a Southerner who went to France to train how to make shop chocolate, came back to. Nashville, just doing super cool things, like doing like duck fat caramels, doing like chocolate salami, like no meat, but like uh, cocoa based, sort of looks like, it looks like a, a charcuterie. Um, you know, he's doing cool stuff. And then I got to give a shout out to uh, Doug Crane at Dragon's Blood Elixir, who makes probably the best hot sauce I've ever had in my life, pretty close to and um, his, he uses, like, all Connecticut-grown apples and habaneros. And uh, I call him the whooping crane because he's, like, very elusive. He's extremely hard <laughs> to get a hold of. And, uh, he you know, I'm pretty sure he, like, goes to farmer's markets and just sells his stuff. And, but he's a good dude and he makes cool stuff. And that sauce, I'm telling you, if you put that stuff on eggs and you don't like it, then I got a problem with you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, man, I'm getting hungry. So yeah. I got I to ask then what, um, what is in the next mantry or what's sort of coming up uh, for the summer? If you can give, give our lovely listeners a preview of, uh, you know, if they did want to go out and, and get a mantry, what, uh, what's coming up?
1: Yeah, so um, we, what just came out uh, actually now was uh, we just did Taco Time or Taco Truck was the name of it. Oh, and so it was like six man. products to kind of upgrade your home taco night. Um, and that, that was a great, I mean, that was a great box, went over well, we got a grilling box coming up that we're calling grill fest. Um, it's kind of got this funny little cover on it that like, looks like a music festival poster and sort of like, it's our ode to like Sasquatch or whatever music festivals. And so, yeah, that's sort of six products to throw like the perfect backyard cookout, um, and recipes to go along with that. Um, But, yeah, man, lots of fun. Like, we have a lot of fun with the themes every month. Uh, We just did one that was called Island Time that's, like, all caribbean influence flavors, like jerk chicken, uh, you know, a a Wicked Barbados punch that had this, like, pineapple syrup in it that this guy, Chris, down at Lieber & Co. in Austin, is making. Um, So, yeah, man, different. I mean, it's like a physical magazine article every month, so different themes. Um, It's always a surprise, um, and it's a lot of fun. It, we get to taste a lot of things and travel quite a bit and, and, um, it's a, it's
0: a good time. I love it, buddy. That's, that's fantastic. You can just hear you lighting up, uh, talk, <laughs> talking, about all that stuff. I can't even oh imagine. I can't even imagine. I've I'm been, I've been to your office. I know you guys are always stocked with the, you know, the coolest goods. Um, so cheers to you for living the dream, buddy. That's, uh, that's awesome. And, um, thanks a lot for, uh, for joining us today. I mean, um, uh, lots of great takeaways and, um, You know, I'm really pumped. Can I
1: recommend some books?
0: Yes, absolutely. Hey, check
1: this out. I read a lot. First of all, everything I've ever—I mean, we we still have a long way to go with our business, and things are going good. Things are going okay and good, but like, you know. we're always looking to grow, and uh, everything that I've, like, <laughs> big influence on my life in the last couple of years is just getting audiobooks and getting Audible.com <laughs> and just listening on the subway, in the shower, like, all the time trying to absorb information on how to run a business nice. on the fly. Um, Some books, like, have just, that have just opened my eyes completely. Um, three, one, I mean, you're going to want to read, like, Four Hour Work week and Tim Ferriss and all that jazz. I mean, that's pretty standard. Like, he, he write. Call whoever you want to call. If you know who Tim Ferriss is, like, you know, a lot of people give him flack for kind of being this like startup guy in, in Silicon Valley. But Four Hour Workweek is a great book for just like being lean and, being, and making smart business decisions. But the big three for me, uh, when you're starting a business, there's an amazing book that took me a long time to fall called Blue Ocean Strategy. It's all about creating new market spaces um, as opposed to going into red oceans, which are uh, things where there's always a lot of competition. Um, That is a great book. Uh, I would be, uh, I I believe in the book, The Secrets of Power Negotiating by Roger Dawson, which is a book all about negotiation. Nothing will save you more money in your business faster than knowing how to negotiate properly. Um, So that has been huge. Um, And there's actually, there's actually a great book that's called Morning, it's called Daily Rituals. And it's just, like, a bunch of successful people and, like, what their routine is. Um, you learn pretty quick that, like, a lot of the most successful people uh, are very routine-driven. routine, routine driven. So it goes back to, like, composers in the 1700s up until, like, you know, CEOs from the 2000s. And just, like, what they do and, like, when they work and, you know, do they drink tea or do they drink coffee? What time do they wake up? And it's just, like, a fascinating book to kind of pick up and absorb a lot about Um, Probably the easiest way to be successful is just copy the shit out of what successful people are doing. (laughs) So, yeah, those are three, man. Blue Ocean Strategy, uh, Daily Rituals, like I just mentioned, um, and The Secrets of Power Negotiating by the one and only Roger Dawson. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, that's awesome, buddy. The the only thing that makes me sad about reading the the daily rituals of all those successful people is that they pretty much all get up at 4 a.m. and I really tend to love to sleep. So, <laughs> the
1: truth hurts, man. They get up at 4 a.m., they have a cold shower, they have five raw egg yolks in a glass, and <laughs> work for 20 hours, you know, and you're like, well, uh, yeah. I couldn't imagine what Elon Musk's day looks like compared to mine, God. <laughs> There's a
0: reason why that guy's going to Mars, and I'm just putting things in men's pantries. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome! Well, I think we're gonna leave it at that, buddy. That's uh, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for um, for sharing those insights. That's uh, that's a lot of great stuff. Um, so just so you guys know, obviously it's mantri.com. Um, you can check out Reggie on Twitter. Uh, definitely follow Mantry on you know Twitter, Facebook, and all those good things. Um, and uh, yeah, buddy, thanks so much for joining us today
1: cool yeah that's man like that's man m-a-n-t-r-y believe me a lot of people think we're like a tree like an actual man tree uh with branches and things so yeah pantry with an m um and yeah man i am stoked for you dude this is going to be a cool experience and i can't wait till you big time me uh when you're like larry king and you don't uh don't return my calls
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, buddy. I hope to see you soon, man. I got to get down to New York, but, um, you know, all the best and, uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. All right, buddy. Take
1: care. Take care.